What is up, guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. I'm really excited about my guests today. Dustin, what is up? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. It is such an honor to have you here with me today. Um, You have done some pretty extraordinary uh, things in your life. And I want to... Can you just tell the listeners, can you just start out, um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are uh, and and what you, where you are at now in your life? Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Dustin Reynolds. Uh, I'm currently at Bristol Marine in Bristol, Rhode Island, and I just finished sailing around the world by myself, and I'm the first person with one arm and one leg to do so. So when did you start this journey? So I started sailing in June of 2014 um, is when I started my trip around the world. But I came up with the idea to do this about two and a half years previous to that. And so it was about two and a half years of getting a boat, getting it ready, learning how to sail, and then and then actually taking off and sailing around. It took me seven and a half years to complete the trip. What? Um, why are you a WMPT? Did you have an accident? I was hit by a drunk driver Mm. back in October of 08. Mm. Um, I was on a motorcycle. I was just on my way home, and the drunk driver swerved across the center lane, hit me head on. It was on a straightaway. It looked like he was trying to hit me. Um, He blew a point. uh, It was a point two eight. So he was really annihilated. You know, he was probably woke up in jail and had no idea why he was there. Wow! Wow! so the accident happened in 2008. What were you doing at that time of your life? So I owned a carpet cleaning company okay. and a commercial fishing boat. Okay. And so you were already kind of into, into the boats and the fishing and sailing. Yeah. I've always been a water person, but I had never actually sailed before, before the accident. What, why were you a water person? Water as in, um, surfing or water as in, um, what did you do? You're a water person, but <laughs> dig into that for me a little bit. Almost all of the above. I was a commercial diver for a while. Um, I was a fisherman. I scuba dove. I pre dove. I surfed. Uh, just about everything except sailing up until up until 2014. Mm, that's awesome. So you had your accident in 2008. Um, what what was that time time like in your in your life? Was it like, did you have to like all of a sudden just stop like with your companies that you had? Did you sell them or what did you do? Yeah, it was tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, there was a moment after the person hit, because he kept driving. He drove like another 600 meters and then off into the ditch. And I came to on the side of the road and, you know, my I reached over and grabbed the bloody stump that was once my arm. Mm. And, you know, I called for help a few times. There was nobody there. And my cell phone survived the accident. And so... I got my phone out of my pocket and I called 911 and there was a moment I thought about it, you know, where I actually hesitated to call because I wasn't really sure if I wanted to save my own life at this point. Oh, wow. And uh, so I had that moment of like, my arm's gone. I knew my foot was badly damaged. I knew it was going to be a long recovery. And um, what I did. The, those thoughts, like when you're laying on the side of the road waiting, like, like y- you thought about that. Like, do you want to call somebody because you knew that you were already missing an, an arm and you knew that you were missing a leg. Like you, you could, you were that co- like coherent to where you're like, okay, do I even want to call anybody to save my life? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like what like I said, I hit 911 just out of instinct. And yeah, then yeah. I, and then just right before I hit send, I paused and it's probably maybe for a minute max, right. but 
there was all the thoughts of like, what's my life going to be like? I'm going to be disabled. Like, how are people going to treat me? Am I still going to be able to scuba dive and mm. free dive and spearfish and all the mm. things that I really love doing? And so like all those things were kind of running through my head. But then, you know, I obviously called 911 and, you know, they, the fire department was only about a kilometer away. So it only took them six minutes to get to me. Mm. And uh, so there was about 20 hours of surgeries before, you know, before my life was no longer in question. And the recovery process was quite a while. And I didn't know this, but Hawaii is a no fault state. So even though I had insurance, the person that hit me had insurance. and I had health insurance at the time. My health insurance, Blue Cross, put a $450,000 lien on me. And so because the accident wasn't my fault, my health insurance determined it wasn't their responsibility to pay. Oh my and so gosh. I ended up half a million dollars in debt to my own insurance company. Oh, my gosh. Was that something in the fine print? Like what? Yeah. Like, what, if yeah. You, if if somebody's listening to this, like you should maybe go read this the fine print your insurance. That I mean, that's like the last thing. Like I mean, you're you're obviously at a point where you're gonna have to start rebuilding your life, right? This is like this is yeah. you like starting over, and then get to get to get slapped with something like that. Um, I can imagine there must have been some some low times and some low points in in your life and your journey and your recovery to be who you are now. There definitely was the first four years was really tough because I had that insurance debt. Yeah. And, you know, I went from making like 10,000 a month down to one. Mm. And so none of my expenses were lower. So, you know, I had to, you know, eventually I had to learn to live off this much smaller budget. And then, you know, I didn't pay my taxes that year. So I had this big IRS debt as well on top of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, after about five years, I was able to pay off the IRS and then I did an offer and compromise with the IRS and then I uh, bankrupted my insurance lien. And at that moment I was like debt free. And that's when I was looking for something new to do. And I saw a website where people would set records sailing around the world. I was like, screw it. I'm going to go do that. So whenever you decided to start training in 2014 to, to sail around the world, was this something, did you get into sailing with, the understanding and the mentality that you're going to learn how to sail so you can sail around the world. Was that it? Or were you like, I just want to get into sailing because I'm like a water person. I do all the things like, but I, you know, what was it? Was it curiosity because you wanted to learn a new craft or was it this drive and this hunger to uh, set a world record? I, I didn't learn how to sail before buying the boat. So I, Found a boat on Craigslist for okay, $12,000. What's, what's that saying when you buy the horse or when you buy the carriage before the horse? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah. you bought the boat, but you didn't know how to sail yet. Right. So uh -huh. I bought the boat. I didn't know how to sail. I spent about a year working on it because it, it was a $12,000 boat and it wasn't in great shape. And, um, and I watched YouTube videos on how to sail. I read a bunch of books and me and a friend who also didn't know how to sail did a lap around the Hawaiian islands. And so I learned everything conceptually through the books and YouTube videos, but Practically, I'd still never sailed before. And so, yeah, we did a month trip around Hawaii and learned how to sail. And I came back home to Hawaii and did a big grocery shop and filled up the boat with food and fuel and took off. That was that. Did you have the mm -hmm. intentions of, uh, like, after you, you know, took a little lap around uh, Hawaii, did you have the intent, like, did you know that you were going to come back and, and, 
and then take off to sail around the world? That was fully my plan. That was like your warm up lap. Yeah. So I did a one month (laughs) trip around Hawaii to learn. And even when I left Hawaii, I still never sailed by myself before. So my first time ever sailing was leaving on my trip around the world. So when did you start your trip, your little journey jaunt around the world? When did you start that? That was in June of 2014. Oh, so that was in June of 2014. That wasn't when you started the, okay, gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, and I bought the boat in May of 2013. Mm, Okay. And then, and I only sailed for, like I said, I only really sailed it for about a month before leaving. The rest of the time was just doing work on the boat. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you, um, I mean, you had to have trusted your boat. Uh, well enough. I mean, you said that when you bought it for $12,000, it wasn't in great shape. Uh, you had to have probably had some long talks with that boat, like <laughs> saying, we're going to get all the way around the world. I mean, was there, can you, can you talk about and share um, some of the, the issues or the problems that came up during your, your journey around the world? What was the first one? What was the first major problem? Cause I'm sure you have several. So my first major problem was I lost the wind vane rudder. Um, the wind vane is uh, like a mechanical autopilot. So it steers a boat in relation to the wind and it has a rudder that goes in the water. And so it uses the power of the water to pull a line that pulls the tiller back and forth. And, um, and the rudder just completely fell off and it had rusted and broken off apparently. And, um, I came out to the back of the boat to see what happened because the boat, you know, obviously wasn't steering anymore. And I saw that the rudder was gone, so I swore a lot. And then was it was this like I, in the middle of the night? I mean, could you like whenever you say you went around the world? I'm assuming there were many days, weeks where you couldn't see land at all, right? Or did you have a path to where you could always, or you knew like within so many miles, within so many hours, you could go into land? Or how like how was that? Yeah, on that particular trip, it was 12 days before I saw land again. Oh my and gosh. Well, how did you know? Did you, I, I, whenever I think of like selling around the world, one of my favorite movies is uh, Moana. Yeah, you know, mine too. she like puts <laughs> her hands up like this and she's like guiding the boat with her, with the stars. How, so, what did you, what did you do like whenever you, you lost that? Did you pull out your compass on your iPhone? That probably didn't work. Yeah, well, there's a GPS on board, mm. and I do have a sextant, so I can steer by the stars as well. Um, That's so it would cool. be really difficult to do it with your hand. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't even know like, if that was a real thing. Yeah. Maybe like way back in the days, but um, I, I saw that the Polynesians use like certain star constellations to kind of steer towards Hawaii. That's but so it's cool. amazing because even with a sextant and a perfectly timed watch, like if you're off by like one second on your, oh, I think it was three seconds, it's ten miles. Huh. And so, yeah, so it's crazy. The, like, if you're off just by a tiny bit and have a sextant, it's like perfectly in tune. Yeah. It's a huge difference. And you have to get like on a small island, you have to get within 15, 20 miles to see it. Right. And yeah. That makes so, sense too. Yeah. There's other signs, like you'll see clouds and stuff from further away, mm-hmm. but yeah, some places are quite hard to find. My first trip to Palmyra Palmyra is an atoll, and the highest point on Palmyra is only two meters above sea level. So, where, where did where did you go, Palmyra? Yeah, where Palmyra is, is my at? first stop from Hawaii. It's about a thousand miles south of Hawaii. Okay, I bet you have great great geography now since you've sailed <laughs> across the world. I feel like I still have to use MapQuest to go everywhere that I need to go, <laughs> even though I've been living here for like six years. It's very embarrassing. 
Um, so yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, about geography or Palmyra? No, no, Palmyra. So yeah, Palmyra is a nature preserve owned by the nature conservancy. Um, there's usually about six employees there, like taking care of the island and up to 20 researchers. Mm. And they only allow 10 boats per year to go. So the visit, it's a pretty special thing. And, but yeah, just from 10 miles out, I still couldn't see it. So, and this was my first trip. And so I was like, starting to get nervous. Yeah. And I was like, is my GPS working? Am I where it's supposed to be? Finally, I heard some radio traffic between the, the station and the researchers. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, good, I'm close somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that, well, that's awesome. What was your favorite? So you would go into, and you got to stop there, correct? Did you get yeah, to stop? Yeah, so I, I was there for two weeks. So you were one of the 10 boats out of the year that yep. got to stop. Um, so yeah. how far out did you have to make reservations for that? It was, uh, so you have to get a rat inspection for your boat and they, you have to have the hole like mm. inspected as well. Cause they don't want any, uh, like yeah. foreign stuff that come into the islands and the permit was free. And so, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And I think I started the permit process like a month in advance, okay. but I don't think you really need to. And it's yeah. a 10 day trip there. So, oh, so it takes 10 days to sail out there and then you can mm -hmm. stay. It's like a, it's like an extreme camping trip. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, well, what was your favorite place that you got to visit? It's tough. Like, so all the nature preserves were amazing. So I went to Palmyra, Chagos, the Andaman Islands, and Antarctica. Mm. And so all those places just had unbelievable wildlife. Um, and then for people, I really liked Vanuatu and Madagascar. Um, both of those areas, you know, the locals will still come out to the boat and trade for, you know, they'll trade food for t-shirts and hats and fishing motors and whatnot. And, so uh, cool. Yeah. It's amazing. The people are just so lovely. I had a, one experience on Vanuatu, this island called Ura Parapara. Uh, they had no electricity on the island, uh, no satellite, no phones, no anything. And, um, so I had all the kids to my boat one night to watch a movie because none yeah. of them had ever seen a movie before. Oh, wow. And so I had like 20 Nevan kids on oh the back of the boat. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I bet so they fun. loved that. They did, but you know, I didn't really have kids movies, so I played the Avengers. <laughs> hey, that works. <laughs> I thought so too, but yeah. the next morning, the parents said that the kids had nightmares about the green monster. Oh no, <laughs> like, oh, oh no, I can see that, especially if they've never really watched TV before. You know, yeah, and they've never seen violence before either. Yeah, you know, it's uh, something yeah. where in America we we see it on we cartoons it since we're born. Yeah, mm -hmm. so those kids they'd never seen anything like that before. So, what about storms? Did you go through storms? Yeah, I had one storm off of American Samoa, and I actually took on a lot of water too. It was probably the one time in my trip that I thought I was sinking. Uh, the deck seemed okay. Sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to like interrupt you, um, but. Did you have like an emergency plan for what you were about to say? Like when you thought that you were sinking, like whenever, <laughs> whenever you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to do a lap around Hawaii and then I'm setting off to sail, sail the world. Did you mm -hmm. have plans set up and like, um, I don't want to say like an exit sign, but were you ever at any point afraid that you were going to fail on this journey or that you were going to have to turn back and go home or get life lighted out? How was that? Yeah. when the, So this is part of the reason I didn't publicize my trip from the beginning. 
Mm. I mean, one, because I'd never sailed before, so I didn't want people telling me I was an idiot. And yeah, two, yeah. it's like I wanted to be able to back out if it was too tough. And <laughs> um, so when I got to Indonesia, the boat was falling apart. And um, I got towed back into Bali three times. Oh, wow. And I was planning a thousand mile trip from Bali to the Mentua, uh, to uh, Mentawai. And I was only going like five miles and getting towed back in for oh some gosh. sort of catastrophic failure. And my whole trip from Bali up West Sumatra and into Malaysia, it's all without an engine. My engine wasn't working at the time either. And so I had to sail on and off the anchor everywhere. And um, But during that time in Bali, and then when I got to Thailand, I was completely out of money. And I had no way to fix up the boat. And so, you know, I thought that I failed at that mm-hmm. moment. And um, my girlfriend was pushing me to do a crowdfunding. And I was like, I, I was nervous about it because I figured if I raised enough money where people would expect me to keep going, mm-hmm. but not really enough money to fix up the boat the way it needed to be, like I could be stuck in the same situation where mm-hmm. the boat's just breaking down all the time. And, but luckily I raised enough. I actually got a different boat and oh, you the, did. I kept the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I kept the crowdfunding going the rest of the trip. And so that actually, like the whole, you know, second, two thirds of my trip was funded by crowdfunding. How, how many days into your trip did the confidence start to build? And you're like, okay, I could use a little help. Like I'm feeling pretty confident that I'm going to make it. Um, I don't think that I'm going to have to like dip out anytime soon. Like, when did you, when did you start sharing your story and your journey of, of going around the world? So it was when I got to Thailand that I started doing media and started, you know, I had to raise money. So I what, what day was this into the trip? Oh, it was about two years into it. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I sailed from Hawaii. I did a year and a half in the South Pacific and then about a, 10 months in Indonesia and then got to Thailand and um, in Thailand, I had to, at that point I had to raise money or quit. Yeah, because of just funding and having to fix the boat and everything. Yeah. It, the boat yeah. was not seaworthy enough to cross the Indian ocean. It, it was pretty dangerous probably just for the trip that I just mm-hmm. completed. It was, it, it was probably a little advice for me to do the trip up Sumatra. Can you, uh, can you share your, your sailing path route? Do you know that by memory or like where, where all you went? I just kind of, yeah. even if it's not like super exact, I just kind of want to get a, an idea of. So, yeah, I went Hawaii, mm-hmm. Palmyra, Kiribati, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Australia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand. And then across the Indian Ocean, I did uh, the Andaman Islands, Sri Lanka, Chagos, Madagascar, Mozambique, South Africa. And around the Cape of Good Hope. And then in the Atlantic, I did, uh, what was it, St. Helena, Ascension, Grenada, and then up through the Caribbean islands, up to U.S. Virgin Islands. And then COVID hit and shut everything mm-hmm. down. And so I sailed from the Virgin Islands up to Rhode Island, which is where I am at this moment. Because uh, the owner of this marina offered me to fix up my boat for free. He had heard about my story. That's amazing. So I, at the time I said no, because I was almost home and it was a long ways out of the way. But then when COVID shut everything down, I reached out to him. It's like, Hey, is your offer still good? I know the world's upside down right now. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Come on up. And so I came up here for a COVID detour and fixed up the boat. So did you sail your boat from Hawaii to Rhode Island then? 
Or did you just, yeah, well, did you, or you came no. into Rhode Island? You didn't go back to Hawaii. You finished up your trip around the world and you just came into Rhode Island. Well, I went from U.S. Virgin Islands to Rhode Island. Gotcha. Okay. And then uh, I sailed down to New York and then uh, went to Bahamas and then Columbia, Panama, went through the Panama Canal and then Galapagos, Marquesas, and back to Hawaii. So being a, w, a double amputee um, out on the water, did you ever have to have any medical attention? Or anything like anything with like the with with your limbs or with your prosthetics. Uh, I've had prosthetics break, and I lost mm. one overboard. As well. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, so oh, that man. was that was fun. Um, <laughs> a shark is gonna get a rude awakening when they <laughs> chomp down on that. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. chip a tooth. <laughs> yeah, like carbon fiber <laughs> fishing lure behind the boat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a tough one. They were quite ex- prosthetics are like almost $20,000. I know they're not cheap, man. Yeah. That was an expensive thing to lose off the boat. Yeah. Uh, but luckily the company that makes the boat sponsored me a new one. Oh, there you they go. Gave, the guy made me a new socket and stuff. So wow. it only cost me a plane ticket to San Francisco. Oh man. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> you had to get that fixed. Uh, so yep. out of like all the islands and, and the, the places that you went, uh, what was the longest stint that you stayed in one place? Probably, well, Thailand, Malaysia area is there for a year. Mm. And that, that was the longest. That was 10 months in Indonesia as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of it was mostly because of boat problems. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So whenever you would stop off at these places, you know, you're there for a week, couple weeks, a month. And, you know, over over in um, Malaysia, you were there for an extended amount of time. Like, what did you do on the islands? Like, did you just explore? Did you just spend time with yourself? Did you try to connect with people? I mean, what did you do? Did you burn it down? I like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always try to connect with people. I'm a pretty social person. So after, you know, spending a week or two or three at sea by myself, you know, it's always nice to come in and meet people. And that was probably one of the hardest thing about the trip is when COVID hit. You know, with all the shutdowns and stuff, I, you know, I spent two weeks at sea by myself and then come to shore. And, um, when I came up to Rhode Island, I, you know, I had to quarantine when I first got here. So I was by myself for like three weeks. And then I came in and went to a restaurant and they had all these like plastic bubbles. <laughs> and I had to get in my own little plastic bubble and by myself, I was like, oh, my oh this is even lonelier than being on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. You're like <laughs> out there. Awful. I could at least talk to seagulls in here. I can't yeah. even like, I need some human connection people. Yeah, seriously. So yeah, that was tough. And most of like the restrictions in the U S were really light compared to most other countries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so all the other, like the Bahamas and Colombia and Panama were all far more strict. How were some of the late night conversations with yourself being out there on the water with just mother nature and, uh, the power of, of the sea and everything that she has? What, um, what are some of like the, like, how was that just being out there alone on the waters? Like, what was the isolation? You were isolated, you know? I mean, I know I kind of laughed about you having, you know, having conversations with seagulls, but out there, (laughs) there probably weren't even any seagulls flying around. So how did you, how did you, how did you break that barrier and, and like thrive through that? It's true. Cause I mean, even with prisoners, like the worst punishment they do to people in prison is putting them in isolation and they're surrounded by a bunch of criminals, you know, and it's, in Hawaii, I had all my friends and loved ones and I had to leave them to go be by myself. 
It is. It can be tough at times. I didn't mind it so much at sea for the most part. I would, uh, uh, you know, I'm usually a pretty busy person. And so I don't watch a lot of TV or read too many books. But then when I'm at sea, I'll usually read a book every day or two. I'll go, I'll binge watch like the, the series and podcasts and whatnot. And, but it's nice to have that uh, for the first like 10 days or so. I really enjoy it. And I tell people too, it's a meditative thing. And if you ever have something going on in your head, you're not sure about your partner or your job or life, go spend 10 days at sea by yourself. You'll figure it all out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have any outside influences. You don't have right. the internet. You're not having conversations with people. So it's all your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and it does, it seems to really work everything out. And I don't drink or do any drugs at sea. So it's, you know, the brain really clears and does its own work. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about yourself out there on the waters? Oh, gosh. I learned how to sail. Um, <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> you did very well. I'm sure you would fall under the category of being an expert now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I gained confidence in just being by myself. I gained confidence in traveling to new places. Um, I mean, this world is such an amazing place. Most... Everywhere I've gone, pretty much, you know, the people were really lovely. And it didn't matter what their faith was or, you know, now with partisanship in the U.S., like people can be quite mean to each other, especially on the Internet. And but usually if you're sitting at a dinner table with somebody, you know, people have compassion and they're really nice. And, um, traveling through Indonesia is a good example because there's Christian, Muslim, Hindu islands like right next to each other. And this one island, Serangan, has all three on the same island. Mm. So you get the call to prayer whatever, four or five times a day. And then the Christian church bells go off. And then the Hindus will have their events. And, you know, I couldn't tell any difference by the way they treated me and how they were, mm. you know, by their religion or faith or anything else. Like everybody just was so kind and generous. And it was really amazing. Um, I mean, the only places I even saw any crime were South Africa. Mm. And I got boarded a few times by pirates and the Solomon Islands. did? Pirates. Tell me about yeah. the pirates. They, like uh, whenever you were out on sea, you you had pirates or whenever you would dock, it would basically be like gangs or whatever at the pirates at the dock trying to get all your stuff? Yeah, I was on anchor in the Solomon Islands, this place called Morova Lagoon. And they came on in the middle of the night. I was able to scare them off. I, I yelled at them. I had a spotlight, so I shed a light on them. I told them I had a gun, which I don't. But they believe me because I'm an American. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And, uh, they jumped in the water and they climbed back on their canoe. And, you know, I, I shined the light and they didn't have any weapons. Right. Uh, I think they're just trying to steal stuff off the boat. Yeah. But I went to the next island like a day later and I got boarded there too that night. And so after that, I was like, you know, I'm just going to get out of here. What, what was it in uh, 2014 that caused you to make the decision to leave your family, your loved ones, your relationships, everything behind and set off to sail around the world. Because I want people to understand that you started sailing in 2014. You got back when? Uh, December of last year. Of 2021, like six months ago, less than that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not, um, that's not a little jaunt. That's seven years. <laughs> yeah. Seven and a half years in 36 countries. Um, yeah, yeah. So I always planned on leaving the dock around that time. 
because it's the right season to go to the South Pacific. And so even you know, it, I, before your accident or did all this, did you, did you start thinking like, was this something that you've always wanted to do since you were a kid or did this start kind of transpiring after your accident? Um, it, you know, when did this, when did this so start coming about? The decision was like a combination of a few things. One was, you know, I completed my bankruptcy and my offering compromised the IRS. And so I was debt free and I still own the carpet cleaning business and the fishing boat, but they were both at that point, like five years out of maintenance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I didn't have the money to reinvest in the companies and I just gone bankrupt. So I had no credit and I had no way to like rebuild them in any sort of timely fashion. And I was looking at other jobs and there was nothing that was going to really provide me any sort of financial freedom. So with that being the case, and I was, I had a social security disability mm -hmm. income, which was only a thousand dollars a month, which is not enough money to live on in Hawaii. Uh, and, that's all. That's all that you were getting. Being yeah. a, w, a double amputee. Yeah. And so. And your insurance slapped you with a $400,000 liability bill. 450000 yeah. 450000 Yeah. Wow. So um, with that income, though, I figured I could live in Thailand and Fiji and Vanuatu and, you know, not in the U.S., but abroad, I could live off of that income. And so. I sold my business and my fishing boat for $12,000 and then bought the $12,000 sailboat. Mm. And I spent a year driving a taxi and trying to save money. You know, I planned to do a lot more sailing to like learn, but you know, I just never had time. And you know, the boat was such a wreck that, you know, I had to get that fixed up. Wow. That is, that's yeah. truly, truly incredible. My um, grandma was a competitive sailboat racer. She had a Catalina um, but I, so I have three little boys and we live right on the bay. We live in Virginia beach and we live out on the bay. So, you know, the boys, my oldest, he just turned 15. I have a seven, uh, 13 and then a 15 year old. They all just had birthdays like this last month. And one of the things, um, that we have really been wanting to do is to teach them how to sail. I feel like, especially just like if you ever needed to get on a boat and just go, I think knowing how to sail like without a motor and understanding the weed, uh, the, uh, the wind with the compass. Um, I don't know. I just think that would be so amazing. So one of, one of the goals that my husband and I have this year is to teach the boys how to sail. Now mm -hmm. we've been looking for like sailing classes around here and there's really not a whole lot, but hearing from you that you just watched videos and like YouTube and you learned how to sail. Um, it gives me some hope of like thinking, well, maybe I can just teach my kids that way. Did you spend a lot of time on the boat every single day whenever you were kind of in the learning phase or? Um, I didn't spend that much time on it. I was mostly just trying to save money, but mm. that month I sailed around Hawaii, I lived on the boat for the month. And then, um, and then obviously once I left, I lived on the boat for seven and a half years. Yeah. Uh, that's but so the, the yacht clubs are usually pretty good about that. If you can find a yacht club nearby, okay. you know, they usually have junior sailing programs and stuff. And they're really cool. It, it's funny. I, I kind of grew up a poor kid. And so I was I, like going to a yacht club, just never entered yeah. my, 
like thoughts. I just assumed it was all snobby rich people. Yeah. And it's really not true. And, yeah. uh, the yacht clubs are quite inclusive mm-hmm. and, you know, they've been my homes away from home for the last, you know, seven years as well. Everywhere I go, like I'll go watch sports and meet people and, you know, learn about other places to go and the communities and, you know, the yacht clubs have all been like really nice. Um, the connections that you made when you were sailing around the world, have you been able to keep those connections? Um, because I know like you probably didn't really have, you had a satellite phone, but it wasn't like you could just, you know, pull up your Instagram and like, you know, shoot someone <laughs> a DM and like keep up yeah. that way. But have you been able to keep those relationships or were they really just you kind of immersing yourself into the culture whenever you were there, whenever you pulled into the port and then you met people, had conversations, had the human connection and then you left or have you, have you held on to those relationships? Yeah, I've really held on to them pretty well. Almost everybody has Facebook now. And even though I can't communicate at sea, I could, yeah. as soon as I get internet, I can't. That's so and cool. even where I am now in Rhode Island, so the same person that fixed up my boat here, I'm staying at his house in Rhode Island. Um, the friend I'm helping get his boat together, I met in Thailand. And I actually sailed Antarctica with him a couple of years ago. Wow. And I stayed with a friend in Brooklyn that I met when I was in New York. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Like this whole community, I mean, almost anywhere in the world, I could know somebody nearby. So is, uh, have you had to, have you had the experience of a uh, sea legs truly what that means? I mean, after being <laughs> out on sea for so many days and then, I mean, now you've been into port, like not very long at all. Wait, what's next for you? Are you itching to get back out on the waters? Like, where's your passion at now? Like, you're, I feel um, like I feel like after completing, not only is it time, it's been seven years, but this is truly a, a journey that has forever changed your life. Yeah, it definitely has. I'm working on a book, so I'm hoping to. I was I was going to ask you about published. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually I met with a few agents in New York when I was there, and a speaking agent as well. And so I'm going to try to do motivational speaking, which is tough for me. I'm actually a pretty nervous public speaker, so. It's something I'm going to actually have to work for. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully the book gets published. But I'm still going to definitely sail. Um, I might actually do a trip to Panama, like in a couple of weeks with my friend that's leaving here. So, which is like a 2,400 mile trip from Rhode Island. Did you, uh, did you fish to catch your, catch your food or what did you do for food and stuff? Besides yep, going into I, the port, but being a fisherman, <laughs> I would just assume that like, did, you yeah, know, did you catch your food or did you fillet it yep. and cook it? You did. Yeah. Yeah. And did you I get tired lots of, of eating raw, fish? Lots of Hawaiian poke. Nice. Oh, I love fish. Yeah. yeah. So I, I learned that, you know, I could eat about a pound of raw fish a day before I get diarrhea. So I'd have to, you know, ration myself on how much fish I ate. What, what else but, did you eat besides fish? I'm assuming that was probably your main protein. What else did you have to eat besides um, fish? The boat would always be stocked with like rice, lentils, and beans uh-huh. um, because it's, I have a water desalinator on board, so I could always have those for staple foods. And I made lots of soups and yeah, I'm a pretty decent cook. I make almost everything. That's awesome. But lo- lots of wraps at sea because those are pretty easy. Yeah. You know, I'll make a big thing of shredded chicken or beef or something or fish and, and then just make wraps out of it. Hmm. So I want you to share like probably your, your best memory that you've had out on sea during your journey. I know that's been like a long time, but is there, is there anything, um, is there, is there anything whenever you kind of reflect on your journey that 
you're like, wow, that was, that will forever be a, you know, a staple. Yeah. There's one, one moment that, uh, it was probably the most spiritual thing that happened to me. I, it was that same trip from Bali to the Mentawai. It was a thousand mile trip and I had absolutely horrible weather. It took me 24 days to go a thousand miles. Usually that distance would take me like seven days. Oh, wow. And I, uh, I mean, it's just like one thunderstorm after another. And I have a little satellite texting device and a friend of mine who's getting my mail wrote me and my disability insurance had canceled me because, uh, I had a private disability insurance and they saw my Facebook and determined since I was outside the U S for more than a year that it avoided my insurance for some reason. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What is up with these insurance companies? Uh, they're brutal. Yeah. If you ever need them, they're not very good. Um, and so I was about still like 250 miles away from the mental life. And, you know, I was obviously upset. I mean, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't call an attorney or anything because I was out at sea. And, and a whale shark swam up to my boat, like right, like an hour or two after I got that message. And I was just, I mean, I'd never even seen one before. And I jumped in the water to go swim with them. I was so excited. I forgot to put my mask on. And I was like, <laughs> oh, why can't I see anything? And I got out of the water and put my mask on and jumped back in and I took a few photos. Oh. No, no, he, he hung out with me for about 45 minutes or wow. so. And unfortunately, my camera battery was really low. So I got like, I don't know, maybe three or four shots. And then I threw my camera back on the boat. But then I just swam with him. Like yeah. I would grab his dorsal fin or pectoral fin and he'd choke me around. And wow. When I got too far from the boat where I was uncomfortable, I'd let go and swim back to the boat. And he'd swim back up to me and take me for another ride. That it was is, really cool. That is amazing. That is so amazing. It was one of the darkest moments and one of the darkest trips that I had on the whole experience. And suddenly this whale shark came and, you know, went swimming with me. I want to close out with asking you, what would you tell people who are wanting to break free and just experience the world? I think that it's really easy to be safe, like in our own space, right? Like our, our houses are safe. Our, we feel safe in our city, you know, our country, it's familiar, you know, going overseas, that's a little uncomfortable getting on a boat by yourself, going to these tiny islands, these national refuge, the national refugees, refuges. Um, what, like, what would you tell somebody who's, who's wanting to, to do what you did? Well, one, the, the, most of the world's not very dangerous. Um, I mean, statistically speaking, the U.S. has a lot more violent crime than probably 80% of the other countries out there. Uh, so most of the places I went are incredibly safe. Um, I really, this is something I try to share with people about doing something, because especially with COVID, a lot of people were like upset about losing businesses or losing jobs or whatnot. And for me, like losing my arm and leg and that five months of struggle was obviously a really difficult thing. But it, at the end of it, I was debt free and I had a complete choice to do whatever I wanted to do. And so sometimes going back to zero and resetting everything isn't a bad thing. And for me, it was like my life now is probably potentially better than it would have been had I not lost it, not had to go through that financial struggle. And going traveling, you just experience so much and people are so kind. 
And most places you go, if you do like a one or two week vacation somewhere, you're usually treated like an ATM machine in places, you know, because people just see tourists as, yeah. you know, revenue. But when you spend a month somewhere or two months, you know, then you start going to family dinners and, you know, you go to birthday parties and whatever events, cultural events, and you just become part of the community. And it's just an amazing feeling. And I would highly recommend it. Mm. What is your legacy that you want to leave behind? I would like to have a platform that I could talk about for some of the environmental issues I ran across and some of the humanitarian issues as well. Um, There's a horrible human trafficking problem in Madagascar still, but there's literally boats coming in and taking young girls and, you know, they're selling them in the Middle East and this is still happening. And, I don't think it's a difficult problem to fix. Did did you see this as just being on port and just like, or did you hear about it through, did you hear about it through um, the people that you met there of it being a problem or is it just so open that it's just, it's clearly happening and you can see it. You could see it and feel it. When I first arrived to the Northern islands off of Madagascar, Usually, like as a double amputee, when you show up sailing by yourself, people are really curious. Yeah. They'll come run up to you and the kids will be following me around and hanging on my prosthetic and stuff. Right, and, yeah. And, uh, and that's pretty much everywhere that I've ever visited. And on the Northern Islands of Madagascar, they did it. You know, no one talked to me, like avoided eye contact. And, you know, I'm walking through the village and, you know, do, nobody's Do you think, even, was that because you're an American, like an American male? Or was it just because, like, why do you think that was? So eventually someone came up and told me about the human trafficking problem. Mm. And they don't really speak English there. They speak either Malagasy or French. And finally someone that spoke English says, you know, in these islands, you got to be really careful because they see a person on a boat and they just assume you're a slaver. And they said... You know, when you come to these islands, he says, don't take pictures right away. You know, make sure people know that you're not there to hurt them. And and after a few days, you know, people warmed up to me and traded a little bit. And um, and then when I went further south, it wasn't as much of a problem. You know? So I think, you know, they're just hitting the northern islands. Mm-hmm. But then when I went to Nosy B, which is a bigger island and a lot more people, there were signs up all over about reporting human trafficking and Mm. whatnot. Mm. Well, I think that's awesome. I I think it's, it's remarkable, not only what you've done, but I'm so glad that you have decided to share your story on the platform. And it's just, it's really inspiring for other people. Even me, I'm like, man, Whenever my kids are grown up, like, is that what I want to do? You know, you see these old people getting RVs and like drive across the U S going to Texas today, honey, going to go catch Barbadilla. But then you have, I mean, it's really just about like, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. If we, you know, if you want to get a boat and save your money and and get a sailboat and learn how to sail or, you know, just like you did it, just be like, okay, we're going to take a quick warm up lap around Hawaii and then take off. Um, you know, to just do it. I think that uh, there's so many things like, you know, superficial things like you were saying that hold us back, whether it's fear, whether it's, you know, feeling like you can or like needing the resources and, um, but you just did it. You just did it. Yeah, yeah it's true. I mean, nobody has experience doing any of these things until you do. Do you know how many so. people have sailed around the world? Is is There's, a, there's about 300 that have done it alone. 
And so it's a pretty small community. And I know two of them. That's very cool. Was there anybody sailing around the world when you were sailing around the world? Did you meet any uh, any other world sailors? Yeah, <laughs> you a did. friend okay, of cool. mine. Yeah, Tom Darcy. Okay. He, I, I heard about him a bunch of times because he was another solo sailor around the same time as me. Uh, but we kept missing each other, and we finally ended up meeting in the Caribbean and became friends. Very cool. Uh, so are you going to sail around the world but go in the opposite direction this time? <laughs> Again? Not alone. Who no, knows? Okay. I, uh, Take people with you. Yeah, maybe if I find a lady that wants to come with me, I'll, I'll oh, go for man. another lap. But yeah. It, I, think, I think you could find somebody out there that would want to go. That'd be amazing. I think so too. I actually met somebody recently that seems pretty interested in it. There so you go. we'll see how that goes. Well, that's very cool. Where can people follow you? Um, where can they support you? Throw it all out there. <laughs> um, my website is thesinglehandedsailor.com. And there's links to my crowdfunding and a bunch of other media stuff as well. Uh, there's some uh, gear on my site too, like t-shirts and hats and whatnot. Awesome. Awesome. And then what is your Instagram? Uh, the single handed sailor as well. Oh, okay. Awesome. That's easy. So pretty much everything is everything the single handed sailor. Yeah. Very cool. Is there anything else that you want to say or to leave any, any projects that you have coming up that you want to share? Oh gosh. Yeah, not yet. Um, I'm hoping for some speaking gigs coming up soon and just working on my book. And I'm going to help a friend sail pretty shortly as well, but that's really yeah, cool. Nothing. Well, you have definitely inspired me to, uh, you know, my grandma, she was a competitive sailor. Whenever I was, I was little, I have all these memories of just going out to the lake where my, I grew up in the middle of Oklahoma. And so going out <laughs> to the lake where my grandma would sail, um, I didn't know what was going on. I just like, you know, wanted to jump, jump off the dock and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> but it's really, really, really inspiring to hear your story and, you know, especially when, if you can go and share and, and speak about it on, um, you know, on stage, I just think that's incredible and, and doing what you're doing right now. Like, I think, I think it's so amazing. And it's probably, you're probably in a weird space because you, you feel like you did it and, you know, yeah, you had to overcome a lot and you're not the same person that started seven years ago. Like you're a completely different person. Um, but all of that has, has defined you over the year. And I just think it's really, really incredible what you've done. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, what do you have planned for the rest of the day? Are you going to go like your boat's getting worked on? So. Yeah, my friend, my friend's boat's here. So I'm going to probably go back and help him. We actually went for a sail this morning to try out a few new sails. So you're not tired of being on the boat. You're not going to take like a couple years off. You're going <laughs> to. I, I I could probably take a little bit more time off, yeah. but I I want to help out my friends too when they need it. So. Do you do you find like now that you're back in the states, um, you know, you're up north in New England. Do you find like if you just ever go to like a coffee shop and you sit back and you you hear you see what people are like complaining about and like how easy <laughs> we really have it? Do you just kind of like. You know, do you just kind of like chuckle and be like, you know, you guys really don't know what like living is. Do you feel that way? Um, sometimes. I mean, it's bit. hard to measure people's problems or pain, but well, yeah, you know, it's something that we all experience differently. But definitely when I hear people going all caring about masks <laughs> or stupid things, I'm just right. like, yeah. just 
just people who have like a lot worse things to deal with. Yeah, (laughs) right. There's bigger issues out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that. Hey, Dustin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your story um, on the Reborn podcast. I'm definitely going to follow you. And then I might hit you up because I am wanting to find a little boat for my boys. So since you are the expert through experience, for <laughs> sure, the only guy that I would probably trust now with sailing stuff, um, I definitely might hit you up to see what you, what you think or whatever. I would love love to do that if you would. Yeah, definitely. Sure, so. And you should go out and get do sailing too. It's I uh, want to for sure. It's big. You don't have to wait till they're grown up. Kids that grow up on sailboats are awesome. Yeah. Just throw them all on the boat and go cruise. I always, there's always that movie. Like I picture myself on a sailboat when they say like, jive ho. And then you're supposed to like duck. <laughs> you're supposed to duck. Yeah. And then it comes by and then it like whacks you off into the ocean. Do you know, like they always put that in movies, like any sailboat <laughs> movies where there's somebody yeah. like standing on deck and then they go to like raise the flag and the flag goes up and the wind takes it and somebody's <laughs> standing on the deck not paying attention and just whoop like puts them right in the water so that's probably going to be me yeah i would avoid doing that i'm that's sure my boys pretty would do dangerous. it on purpose <laughs> yeah i'm sure my boys would try to do it on purpose to me if they <laughs> if the opportunity presented itself so uh you look pretty strong i think yeah. you could take them <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can well hey thank you so much for your time today dude seriously genuinely best of luck with everything that you have going on what an amazing reborn story and i'm I'm definitely rooting for you and everything that you have. And I'm, I'm for sure going to connect with you on the interwebs and continue <laughs> to follow your journey and see what you're up to next. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Yes. Hey, you have a great day. Thanks, Dustin. And you too. Aloha, everybody. Aloha. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Reborn podcast today. What? an amazing and very, very inspiring human. Um, Listening to his story really just got me all excited to start sailing. Um, What? That's just incredible. So thank you again for listening to the Reborn Podcast with Ashley Horner. Be sure to follow and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast. Tell your friends about the show. And thank you again for listening to the Reborn Podcast from Ironclad. I will see you guys next week. Bye. Mm -hmm.